from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you live from these United States of America. Here in the illustrious Central Time Zone is me in Des Moines, Iowa, where I am the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute for Foundation and Ethics and Leadership. You can find us at mchs.edu and uh, zetainstitute.com. And then over in the mysterious Eastern Time Zone, where they're in the future, one hour hole ahead of us, is Bud Marr over in Pittsburgh. Bud, what are the secretive things that you people of the future in the Eastern Time Zone do? Yeah, I'm here in Pittsburgh at the National Institute for Newman Studies. Our website is newmanstudies.org. And I had a quick question for you, Bo. All right. I'm going to cut you off here. Um, I tell people, like, at church and things that I'm the director Mm-hmm. And for some, do you have any idea that job doesn't sound convincing to people? <laughs> like the, my friends who work um, uh, other places will be like, "So you do what?" And I try to explain my day, and they're like, "Yeah, uh, yeah. you need to go sure. like commandant or like lord commander." And there's a whole lot of things. I mean, you know, where you direct things. I think they they hear the word and they're like, "So do you like point to people where they should go to places? Yeah. Like you direct them." Uh, and I, you, you know, um, my favorite answer when it comes to anything I ever do is Walker Percy's Walker Percy, uh, famous Catholic novelist. He was, uh, in his little small town in Louisiana and he yeah. went to the barber and they were cutting his hair and the, the barber's like, so what do you do? And he tried for like five minutes to convince him that he was a novelist and that like he got paid to write and the guy wasn't getting it. So finally he goes like, I don't do nothing. And that was okay, right? The barber, I could understand that you don't do anything, you know, you didn't still need a haircut. But the whole what I do is writing was too much. So I always tell people, like, I don't do nothing, just like Walker Percy. <laughs> well, that's right. And you and I both have fathers who I worked, uh, have been in pretty strenuous fields, you know. So right. I'm, my dad is completely justified in just being like, you're softy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Dad, the air conditioner wasn't like on full blast today. Things were hard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's yeah. So uh, agreed. Um, yeah. No. You the uh, as always brought to you uh, by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you know we both do work. Settle down. Uh, you know, Bo and Bud's dad. We 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 do work over at Mercy College of Health Sciences. We've taught classes together. Yep. People people know we do things. Uh, no, but brought to you by Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Like we said, we're in the full swing of a new semester, and so it's still uh, getting acclimated to a lot of new faces running around, but uh, you, you get acclimated to virtual faces because you're uh, there uh, teaching the online classes. But mm-hmm. very important because this relates to our speak, uh, who we're going to talk to today. We have our Faith and Healing Speaker Series coming up next week. And then, so we've had them uh, typically sometimes on Thursdays, but this year we're having it Tuesday. So Tuesday, September 24th, Tuesday, September 24th at 6.30 at uh, the Mercy College of Health Sciences campus downtown in the Sullivan Center. So the main place, that is where we're going to have our Faith and Healing Speaker Series with our guest today, who you get to get a preview of what she is going to talk about, Letitia Ochoa Adams. 
um, who's going to talk about um, suicide and, and, and survival uh, of you know life after someone within your family um, has committed suicide. Her son, Anthony, committed suicide, uh, to, and then she's documented the process of grieving, how to move on, um, what does it mean to live life as a, as a Catholic um, in light of that. Um, and so a very important, uh, poignant talk to give, especially during September, which is a month of suicide prevention and awareness. So uh, Letitia uh, Ochoa Adams, who we're going to talk to today, but like I said, Mercy College of Health Science underwrites our show, and the Faith and Healing Mm -hmm. Lecture Series is a big outreach that we make to the community to be a part of our intellectual life. Bo, I should tell you, uh, I I take credit for the Faith and Healing Series. Oh, okay. I'll I'll tell people, you know that great series that Bo's running? I pretty much started that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Without me, Bo Bo's series yeah. would be nothing. Just a He's thought in my his mind. <laughs> yeah, no, you did run the, the the first annual one. I remember you talking about that. No, the inspiration was really elsewhere. Is people prodding me? Most of what I've accomplished in life is just good supervisors pushing me out of the nest. So. <laughs> <laughs> people being like, "Buddy, you should do this." But, yeah. yeah. Yes. Put my put my eyes down. Go forward. Um, you know, but uh, we were also, I was talking to Jimmy beforehand because uh, everything's a buzz around here, running around, yeah. um, because it is the men's stag night. Uh, so just throwing that out to anybody oh, who's yeah. in Des Moines, um, the Iowa Catholic men's stag night. Uh, we'll talk about that, you know, more in the county barn. Uh, but, you know, this is where we have a fundraiser and, you know, cigars, steaks, the sort of uh, accruements that you would think of, uh, you know, an outdoor men's event under a tent. Uh, but I was telling him, I think that was the first place where I really got to meet John Leonetti. Is that I, does that sound right to you? Like, is does everybody in this town meet John Leonetti for the first time at the men's the Iowa Catholic Radio Men's Stag? That might be right. It's a good environment. You know, you'll be watching a wildlife documentary and they'll be like, "Here's the tiger in his natural environment." I feel like the men's stag is that for Leonetti's. That's right. And um, for me, the men's stag, it's a little slice of heaven. Yeah, I just have this memory in my mind of sitting around a fireplace on a crisp September night with Monsignor Chido and hearing stories of yonder days and years. That's right, of the, of the, the good old Italian uh, yeah. south side. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I think I add memories that didn't exist. Like, I, I, I think of John Leonetti, like he comes in after a fog machine, you know, and there's like lights. and But that's not true, actually. But I, I've added that because, like you said, it's... It's so John Leonetti. So we, we've done our advertisement for the Minstag and John Leonetti and uh, Mercy College of Health Sciences. Uh, but like I said, on our show today, we have uh, Letitia Adams. And so we're going to talk about uh, what her talk's going to be about, preview that a bit. Um, it's going to be uh, a very uh, interesting uh, and poignant talk. And uh, stick around because we'll be back to talk about that right after this. There we go. Uh, so, Bud, if people want to ask questions, if they have questions about other Leonetti stories, or maybe we could throw out a few, you know, secret Monsignor Chido stories. I don't know. I'm not saying that. Nothing official. Um, they can get in ta- contact with us with the Zip Whip line. 515-223-1150. That's 515-223-1150. The Zip Whip line. Uh, 515-223-1150. It's a wonderful way for us to keep track with what people are thinking or questions they have. Um, every time we walk in, uh, you get to see that people have been able to contact uh, not only our show, uh, but Iowa Catholic Radio in general about questions they have. So, you know, look at us being cutting edge. And if you have anything you want us to ask live on the show, or if you have questions, 
the zip whip line uh, 515-223-1150 <laughs> hashtag ucg for the uncommon good if you want to make a special note for us this is the uncommon good and we'll be back right after these <laughs> i i think we, we gotta go sorry <laughs> vitae family care is part of the iowa catholic radio family Pro-life physician Greg McKernan, a DO, has practiced for 27 years seeing patients of all ages with just about every kind of need. Dr. McKernan lives his faith as a physician and is trained in NAPRO technology, allowing him to diagnose and treat many female conditions and even markedly reduce the occurrence of a miscarriage. VitaeFamilyCare.com Remember, Vitae is Latin for life. Thank you to R&R Realty Group Apartment Communities for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning. R&R Realty Group Apartment Communities have unique amenities and award-winning property management. Sierra Point and Country Club Village Apartments in West Des Moines and residents at 62W and Wynwood Apartments in Johnston. R&R Realty Group Apartment Communities wants you to love where you live. Learn more at rrrealty.com. That's rrrealty.com. Find out how you can support Iowa Catholic Radio at iowacatholicradio.com or 515-223-1150. Thank you to Golden Rule for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we do our best to give back to our communities, our families, and you, our customers, whenever we can. It's just part of who we are and what we do. And now we have something brand new, 0% financing for up to five years on new qualifying furnaces and air conditioners. I'm Bobby from Golden Rule, and we obey the rules to live by. Not just one, but five Golden Rules every single time. You can believe we deliver respect, understanding, loyalty, expertise, and service every time you call. Go to goldenrulephc.com. When you donate to CTO, you're helping more and more families send their kids to Catholic school. That's great because more and more families qualify for tuition assistance every year. Your generosity makes a huge difference for thousands of families and kids who really need help. Plus, your donation qualifies you for great tax credits. Want to help? Please donate at ctoiowa.org. Let's do this for the kids and their future. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar joining you this Wednesday. We're glad that you were able to listen and come to the show. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it and we have quite a show for you. Uh, Our guest today is a good friend of mine, speaker, author, many things in the work. The big thing, of course, for all of you listening in Des Moines is next week, September 24th, Tuesday, starting at 6.30, where she is going to be our speaker for the Faith and Healing Lecture Series in which you're all invited to come uh, take part of, uh, Letitia Ochoa Adams. Letitia, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, it's great to have, uh, like I said, friends online that we can uh, ask to come on the show and everything. So thank you for coming on to the show. Um, your first time going to be in Des Moines, right? I'm not uh, spoiling anything. You, this is going to be your first trip to Iowa next week? Yes, my very first trip to Iowa ever in my whole life. Now, so, Letitia, you're a, you're a, a, a Texas gal, so um, if it's in the <laughs> 80s... You might think it seems wintry up here, right? Because 80s is going to be warm in September for Iowa. Yeah, and I, were, I already packed my sweater 
(laughs) (laughs) That's winter. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're really looking forward to having you um, come. And just to reiterate to everybody uh, who's in the listening area who has a chance uh, to come September 24th. Um, So Letitia is going to speak. That's at uh, Mercy College of Health Science in the Sullivan Center starting at 630. And we'd love to have you all uh, come around. So we're actually going to sort of speak about the same thing that your uh, topic will be about on the 24th. Of course, we're going to talk about it in terms of the common good and Catholic social teaching and everything like that. Um, But to give the folks who are listening a little bit um, of context uh, Letitia, what, you know, there's no way to really get around this. There's a tragedy in your family's life that has really called you to this ministry um, of speaking about suicide. It's Suicide Awareness uh, Month now in September, so that was part of the reason that we thought that you would be such a, a, a poignant speaker to speak uh, on the 24th. Um, just to give you a little bit of room, if you can introduce folks, you know, what, what happened and, and why it is that you feel called uh, specifically to this speaking ministry on the subject of suicide. Okay, yeah. Um, so after a life, uh, a childhood and a life full of trauma and all kinds of things, I converted to Catholicism in 2010. I came into the church. My children came into the church. Then in October of 2010, my husband and I were married in the church, and I thought, this is it. This is the happily ever after. Um, and I didn't really realize that we needed a lot of healing from those traumas and um I just felt like we came into the church, we're doing all the right things, we're living the American dream in the suburbs, and um, so on March the 8th of 2017, my oldest son died by suicide um, in our home, and we found him, uh, my husband found him, and um, my ch- two of my children were here, two of my other children, my, my second oldest and my third oldest were here, so it was a very traumatic event. And it was something that really brought together this laser-sharp focus for me on speaking about healing from trauma and what trauma is in line with the Catholic Church because we also teach responsibility and culpability and freedom of our will, you know, to make choices. Um, And it's just the best place to talk about suffering. We're the only ones with the theology for suffering. So it became my mission to honor Anthony's life by speaking openly and honestly about the grief following a suicide loss of a child and about what that's done to me and my children and my marriage and how in the midst of all of that, I have such a huge um, light of grace from God, who's done more in my life in the last two and a half years as I fought him the entire way hmm. than in my whole life. I mean, it was really a rebuilding of my life, but it was also rebuilding of my faith from the foundation that I had for my conversion of learning about Catholicism and reading every encyclical I could get my hands on and starting a degree in philosophy at a Catholic college. All of this stuff that I learned, all of this knowledge that I learned, I had to put into practice after losing Anthony, um, which rebuilt my relationship with God, my relationship with the church, my relationship with my children, my relationship with myself, and has continued to heal my relationship with Anthony. 
Well, so one of the things that I want to commend you very publicly for is exactly that, uh, the, the public nature of your willingness to have worked through this. As someone who, you know, sort of uh, knew you through the, the mystical webs of the Internet and, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Facebook and, and all that, I think uh, the, the sort of handoff is I, I knew Jennifer Fulweiler, heard you on the show, things like this. Um, but, you know, you this this tragedy and then the healing that you go through played out very publicly um, on on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and your willingness to use sort of modern social media to be very honest and open uh, with your life. And not just about this, right? Uh, you know, like I said, we, we I, I get to see you um, talking about um, philosophy uh, assignments and homework. And uh, that's uh, it's actually very cruel of you to do that because I'm like actually doing real you know, my job work. And then I see you talk about philosophy stuff. And I'm like, I'd rather talk about this for eight hours. Um, but, you know, and then uh, from everything from what it's like to live in Texas to, you know, the, the, the various uh, rap music that you like, uh, you, you, you show your life to, to try to allow people to see um, that there's a witness that people have to become accustomed to if, if they're going to understand what it's like to survive suicide in the family or like you said, to be honest about trauma. Um, is that something where you just got lucky and it kind of came natural to you that you felt open and, and confident to talk about these things? Or was this something that when you got that laser focus, you decided, I, I just have to be this vulnerable or there's no other way uh, to work through this? It actually comes really natural to me, but it was kind of toned down. Like my whole life, I was kind of told, like, don't talk about that. Don't say that out loud sit down be quiet and I see it with my granddaughter now because she's the same way she's just an open book and I see how it's the natural reaction for people to want her to tone it down um so it does come natural to me to just put things out there um but the hard part with Anthony was well the hard part just in general is what parts do I keep private and what parts don't I because I I don't want my children to ever feel as if they're pawns in my social media content, you know, and I, and I never want to put Anthony in a position of being attacked in any kind of way. So, so I really stand in the truth of respecting the dignity of my family while also being able to tell my story. And so there is a balance there, but mostly my motivation was that I didn't see anyone talking about the things that um, pertained to my life, like my past, my life, my, you know, my love of hip hop music, my love of all kinds of things. I just didn't see any Catholic content that spoke to me in a relational way like that. Uh, Plenty of stuff that inspired me, plenty of stuff that made me proud to be Catholic, um, plenty of stuff that frustrated me to be Catholic. But um, the, the generational poverty, the trauma, the no education, trying to go to a philosophy, you know, go through a philosophy program. Like, no one's speaking on that. And it's kind of an education for some people to realize, like, there's other people that have different experiences that, than you, you know? Um, so that's my, mo- my main motivation is just to be that person for someone else that I didn't see in social media content in the Catholic world. Leticia, this is Bud Marr. Thanks for being on the show. I would echo so much of what Bo said about openness and everything. Um, For myself, I know I've talked to many Catholics who have this strong desire to be supportive, 
and have even been a part of communities where there's been intentional conversations about how, how are we there for those with grief. But if you look at something like the book of Job, that, there's a real danger. Job's friends think that they're doing him a favor by giving him advice, but it's, what they say is really out of whack with what's really there. And so I know, yeah. there's not a, I, I know there's not a formula for this, but do you have any advice, like, for myself, if I'm saying, I really want to be there for this person, what, like, what can I say, what can I do, or what are things maybe not to say? I think, I think that the key is, is to know that no matter what you say, it's going to be wrong. <laughs> but the fact that you say it and the fact that you're there is always going to stick in that person's mind. And I mean, that might come to having to duck when they throw something at you, but just stay there, you know, stay in that suffering. And for me, like as Catholics, we know this, we know this to the core because every Lent we stay with Jesus for 40 days and we know what's coming and we know it's going to be hard and we know we're going to have to, you know, stand up at one mass and say the words crucify him crucify him we know what's coming and we do it every year and so in that space of lent we sit with christ and we and we don't have any advice for him because we know what's coming and i think we have to do that with people who are grieving and it takes as long as it takes and um and practical things advice that i have for people is always put dates in your phone so put the Put the date the person passed away, put the person's birthday in your phone, and put the six-month mark in your phone. And just do anything, anything at all. Say the person's name on those days. And, yeah, the, the grieving person is probably going to crumble, but it feels so good to hear their name, you know, and, um, and just to have people that are there. And the people who have sat with me, for the last two and a half years are the people that I thank God for every single day. And I, I really am sorry for the people who couldn't stick around because it's very hard. And also I think a, a thing that my support group did is they took shifts, you know, mm. like not one person didn't sit with me for the last two and a half years. Like, like they took turns as like kind of handed me off as a grief baton, you know, like, here you go. It's your turn. Um, so that really helps too, you know, to have a communication among the support system. But the main thing I would say is just to show up and sit in that space with them. So uh, that uh, the griefathon, um, and the, 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 that's a, a, a funny way, but like a very profound way to talk about this idea, right? Is that so? The, Suicide, and, you know, there's all sorts of things written about it from, like, the ancient world into sort of, like, existentialists in the, the modern world. It seems like it's a, it's a go-to almost in literature and philosophy. And in, in many ways, you can start to understand why people worry about this re-traumatizing people. But on the other hand, uh, it, it really is this sort of central question um, about humans, right? Like, you know, other animals yeah. can't do this. Like, they can accidentally, like, do something in which they end their own life. But only humans can, as you've pointed out in some of your work, commit suicide. And so yeah. what suicide starts to do is really bring another dynamic that I feel it runs through the center of this show. Suicide is a very individual act in a lot of philosophical imagination, right? And some people say the ultimate yeah. one. Um, but then we're social creatures. And so this sort of... Um, this sort of dissonance really comes into play to talk about it, especially when you think of, um, you know, you, you talk about the importance of Tejano culture in your life and the sort of communal bonds 
that maybe um, other Americans don't have not living in a culture like that. I feel the same way when it comes to Okies and how they talk about family and extended family <laughs> is that um, the, the, that starts to maybe show the difficulty of talking about it in the modern world is precisely because it brings to light the stark differences between our individualism um, and the sort of thick, deep cultures necessary to not only grieve, but to talk about it in, in, a, in a worthwhile way. Right. And, and to process it in a worthwhile way. And to, um, I, I think the biggest, I think that the biggest gift me and my children had is that we, we had a band that we loved. We followed them for a very long time. And the leader of the band's brother died by suicide many years ago. He started this festival. He wrote a song for his brother. He openly talked about suicide. So when Anthony died by suicide, it was something we had, we had a quote unquote mentor in this, in this area. Right. And so we were given the permission to grieve openly and to, and to say, this is, this is something that was done to us, you know, and not reduce Anthony down to his suicide but at the same time not take away his freedom to have made that choice. Even though the choice was made in illness, it was still a choice he made that impacted the rest of us. And we were open and honest to say this impacted us as a community, which is a family, you know? Um, and so his individual, and he would and he would have never done that. Had he known that that's what was going to happen, he never would have done that. So I feel that's the missing part in the conversation on suicide and suicide loss is the information of what does this do to the family left behind? Mm. Um, you, you, the pain is spread, you know, it's not taken away in any, in any way is the peace. And I mean, is there peace is the pain taken away from anyone? And instead it's multiplied. And, um, Catholic, again, Catholicism and, and just, Thomas Aquinas helped me a lot in understanding that you can do both. You can understand that it was a choice, and you can understand that it was made in illness, and you can understand that there's a responsibility of healing now. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. I'm intrigued by the part of your story where you came into the Catholic Church because Bo and I are both converts as well. And one thing that I've really appreciated about being Catholic is that you don't have to think of your own prayers <laughs> off the top of your head. The, the ritual element has been really helpful for me at different points in my life. And I didn't know if you could maybe speak to particular rituals or prayers that you've leaned on uh, the last few years. Yeah, um, well, just from the beginning. So my uncle passed away 10 months before Anthony. He was like a father to me. So in that, it was a kind of long end-of-life process. And so in that, my aunt, who'd been, who's a lifelong Catholic, who had been Catholic her whole entire life, taught me what you do as a Catholic and as a Hispanic when someone's dying. You call a priest, you make sure they get their apostolic pardon, you make sure that they've gotten their confession heard. Um, then you call the funeral home, then you call the church. I mean, just this, this kind of process, you pray the rosary, you pray the rosary... Um, so in my family, you pray the rosary for nine days after the person's died. It's a rosary novena that you pray for the repose of their soul. 
Um, all of these things she taught me when my uncle passed away. And then she passed away a month before Anthony, so we did it then. So when Anthony passed away, when Anthony committed suicide and we found his body, I already knew the first thing to do. I mean, he was already gone, but I knew I needed to call my priest. And so that was the second call. So we called 911, and then we called my pastor. And I said, we found Anthony. He's gone. I, I don't know what you can do for him, but can you come right away? And he said, yes. And so he got here right away, and then right behind him was another priest, the priest who had walked with me through my conversion, and who had baptized Anthony. And they waited and asked, they made it happen to where they could bless Anthony's body before it was taken out of the garage. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was um, I had so many people just all over the world asking what could they do, what could they do. And, and in the middle of grief, you really just don't have an answer for that. You might have an answer for some specific people, but for the most part, you don't have an answer for it. But then I realized, like, I'm Catholic. So I just started asking people to pray for Anthony, offer up masses. So from the get-go, I mean, we got enrollment, you know, um, mass cards. People were just offering mass for, masses for Anthony. He probably had at least a 1,000 masses offered for him in the first week after his suicide. And I had priest, a priest friend who was in Rome who prayed for him there, another priest friend that was in the Holy Land who prayed for him there. So, I mean, he just, it was an outpouring of prayers. Um, and then I knew that he had to have a Catholic funeral. So I, the first thing I asked my pastor when he got here was like, he can have a Catholic funeral. And he was like, of course. And I said, well, I already knew the answer to that. I just didn't know how hard I was going to have to fight you. And he <laughs> was like, I'm not fighting you at all. Right. Um, and so we had four priests at his funeral and, um, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be Christ-centered and not Anthony-centered, which I think can easily happen because there's just so much emotion. Mm. Um, and, and I just didn't want it to be that way. I wanted it to be hopeful for all of his friends who I knew were going to be grieving really hard for him and who weren't in relationship with Christ. I wanted them to know that God loved them. Um, so that happened. And, um, and then just the rosary I mean, I never really prayed the rosary after Anthony died, but I did hold it, you know, and the, just the just the sense of holding it and understanding that Mary's presence was with me constantly, even though I didn't ask her for anything and she didn't offer any advice, but we just sat together in the same space of a grieving mother. Um, that helped a lot. So, And then the sacraments, you know, of course, just, just, even going to Mass when I was mad was grace-filled because that's where God is, and and it's, and it's okay to be mad, and he was okay with it. Like, he didn't smite me as I was leaving the church when I was in there going, oh, why, why? You know, um, and so it built a real trust between God and I that I knew he loved me. I didn't have the trust that he had my back because this terrible thing happens and, and I don't have any um, unrealistic expectations that more terrible things aren't going to happen to me in my life, but I know he loves me. And to me, that was more important than knowing everything's going to be okay. Well, um, this is th- th- this is very important stuff. I'm so glad that you're willing to come on the show and talk about this. We're running up to the break, so we're going to go take a two-minute break. And when we get, come back, we have more uh, of this profound talk with uh, Letitia Adams. Uh, don't uh, change the channel or anything. Stick around. We'll be back with The Uncommon Good right after this. 
If you're in the Iowa Catholic Radio listening area or abroad and you want to make sure to keep up with what Iowa Catholic Radio is up to, it's easy to do. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com. You can sign up for the uh, email uh, uh, email list. I'm sorry, I forgot uh, how to use the English language. The email list, which will uh, twice a month uh, tell you what's going on on air and the events uh, throughout the diocese that we're a part of. You can go to facebook.com and just search for Iowa Catholic Radio and friend us. And Zuckerberg, with his mysterious robot network, will make sure that you know everything that's happening with Facebook. Finally, you can go on Twitter, at IA Catholic Radio, and you can see cute little less-than-200-word quips from Iowa Catholic Radio to keep up with what we're doing online and throughout the diocese. And like I said, Iowa Catholic Radio, Twitter, Facebook, uh, follow us there. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. CTO provides tuition assistance for Catholic school students. This coming year, many more families will qualify for aid, particularly middle-income families who now need extra support to cover the rising costs of Catholic education, which means we need your help more than ever for our kids, for families, and to empower some of the best schools in Iowa. Want to help? Please donate online at ctoiowa.org. Let's do this for the kids and their future. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. Iowa Catholic Radio welcomes an evening with Father Ricardo, sponsored by Utfidum, December 7th, 7 p.m. in the Grand Ballroom at the Iowa Event Center. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Utfidum, Latin for Keep the Faith, strives to develop Dallin Catholic High School students who will keep the faith through college. Utfidum does this by supporting students in forming deep personal relationships with Christ through small group ministry and faith mentoring. Learn more about an evening with Father John Ricardo, sponsored by Utfidum, Saturday, December 7th at iowacatholicradio.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Some clouds moving in for the afternoon and our temperature in the upper 80s. Changes on the way tonight. Showers and thunderstorms likely low near 70. We've got a good chance of rain tomorrow, low 80s. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy, outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar coming to you live on this beautiful Wednesday morning. Our guest is Letitia Adams. I forgot to, op- to open the, the show with this. If you want to read more of what she's up to, you can look at LetitiaOAdams.com, L-E-T-I-C-I-A-O-Adams.com for more of her writing. Letitia, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. And I should point out, we were joking around about hip-hop, but uh, I, the Turnpoint, t- Turnpike Troubadours playing at the beginning of the show reminds me that you also know a lot of Red Dirt music, too. So those are <laughs> p- pretty much my two favorites is Red Dirt, and we can get in fun fights about hip-hop. So, uh, you know, you're a woman of many tastes. I just want to make sure people know <laughs> that. Um, yeah. So uh, one of the things to get back into what we were talking about in the first segment of the show um, so we're a show on the common good. Obviously, uh, 
things in the news, trends in the news, people are constantly asking us, are you going to deal with those on the show? And obviously, suicide in general is one. So people w- will know, especially among uh, certain cohorts, but in general. Um, so, you know, people are thinking like uh, agriculture, uh, the farmers, uh, um, people re- returning military vets, uh, young people that uh, the suicide rate is is rising. And, you you know, people really want anyone really to say, what do you think is going on? So the actual question I have for you is it's easy for people um, that don't have an immediate experience to have very abstract answers answers to this, right? Like, oh, it's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, uh, the, the disembodiment of, of modern life or, you know, alienation. And, and those things all might have something to say to the conversation but since we have you on, and, and you're, you're obviously so well-read in, in, in the theology and the, you read all sorts of wonderful sociological observations you make, but then you have this, this personal experience with the reality of it. I guess the question's two-part. On one hand, what would you caution people um, you know, to not jump to certain conclusions about suicide in the modern world? And then second, what would you say through this tragic experience that you've had yourself, that you would, do you have any insights about how we can begin to talk about um, this increase in our society? So I guess the first thing that I would caution people um, for, I mean, like, my first caution is don't talk about I hope they are in peace because the people who are left behind want nothing more than the same peace. And I hear this among Christians a lot, where people are like, my loved one went to be with Jesus. And it's, I understand, well, I don't really think it's good theology, but I understand that people want to believe that, because we do believe in God, we do believe in His mercy and His compassion and His, you know, understanding and and everything, and we know that God loves our loved one. I know God loves Anthony, but that doesn't mean that I know that Anthony is in heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's the actual theology of it is that we don't. That's why we as Catholics pray for the dead. Um, prayers are outside of time, and we hope that God has mercy on them. But at the end of the day, it's not my business where Anthony is. My business is to love Anthony, to I'm still his mother, and to pray for his soul every day for the rest of my life. Mm. And that's good enough for me. So I caution people against those kinds of um, cliches, you know, just because I think um, it's bad theology, and I also think it's dangerous for people who have suicidal ideation. My children being honest with me after Anthony died and saying, I've had suicidal thoughts, and I can't do that to you guys, so what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's help. So being honest about that, that suicide didn't solve the problem, it only made things worse on everyone who's left behind. That's helped my children deal with their suicidal ideation more so than the Anthony's at peace now, and he's in heaven with God. Mm. Um, So that's my first thing. My second thing would be to say, um, my second thing would be to warn people about um, the idea that you can prevent someone's suicide. I, I I think this conversation has failed in that it makes it seem as if, oh, I should have done something for them. Um, Everyone who dies by suicide is alone without a family that loves them and supports them. And in my experience, that's just not the stories that I've heard. That's not my lived experience with Anthony. Families are exhausting themselves trying to help their loved one. 
So you can support someone who's in crisis and you can love them and you can hug them for as, as much as you possibly can, but you can't put yourself in charge of preventing their suicide in any way. Um, cause it's just gonna, if it, if it were to happen, then it's just going to cause so much more pain in that we have to realize we're not responsible for anyone else's choices. All we can do is the best we can do where we're at currently. And that goes for any situation, you know? Um, and I guess the biggest insight that I have had from this experience is that, um, the mental health system is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) It is just a mess. And I, and I think, personally, and it is because I'm Catholic, but I personally think that Catholics can lead the way in fixing it. Because we have the theology, we have the philosophy, we have the love for the dignity of the human person. I mean, we just have the entire package. And I think that if we could stop arguing about holding hands during the Our Father, (laughs) and we could be Catholic and stand in our identity as disciples of Christ and love the way he expects us to love and have the knowledge that our faith, our faith has a wealth of knowledge and to teach our children that wealth of knowledge and to live in that identity would do so much more for suicide prevention than walking around a track four times and giving a donation to a suicide prevention organization, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, because we're Catholics come from a long line of strength and honoring of suffering. And I just think we need to stand in that and, and go from there and, and know what our purpose is. Our, our purpose is to be the reflection of God in the world, and that's what people are thirsting for right now. And when they don't see it, then it really creates a really hopeless situation all the way around, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think many of us have stories of bad homilies that we've heard at funerals. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> one of the most um, touching blog posts that for me that you had was the homily from your son's funeral. And uh, I know... It, it would it would take a long time to really fully unpack it, but could you touch on for our listeners what you found so helpful and impactful about what, what the priest said on that occasion? I mean, from the get-go, Father Jonathan Rea, who, who gave that homily, he knew Anthony, he baptized Anthony, he gave Anthony his first Holy Communion on Easter Vigil 2010. He loved Anthony, he blessed Anthony's body, so... I think that the beauty of that homily is in the relationship that I cultivated with that priest during my conversion that anyone can cultivate with a priest, um, having them over for dinner, having them get to know your children, having your children get to know them. I mean, I think that's central because it's really difficult for a priest to give such a loving homily without knowing the person. Um, so that relationships with priests, friendships with priests are very important in that respect. And also that I called him before the funeral and I told him what I kind of wanted him to say as far as um, saying that God loves you and uh, loves you more than you think he, he does. I wanted that in the homily. So having a priest 
with a relationship where you can call him and kind of be like, I want you to put this line in your homily helps a lot, you know? Um, and second, that from the get-go, when that priest was in my living room, I said, I don't want to hear anyone say Anthony's an angel or that he's in heaven. I don't know where he is, and I don't want that kind of message in the homily. And so he agreed with me. And so I think the most important part of that homily is that it was all centered on the mercy of God, but without the assumption of salvation, which is a gift we have to accept. And we don't know if Anthony accepted it or not. We pray he did. We hope he did, but we don't know. And, and he just, he balanced that perfectly in my opinion. Well, and <laughs> stemming from this, you know, what, one of the things that I, think people need to take away from everything that you've said is the willingness to um, be confident and have hope in a world where we don't know everything. I mean, I've heard you say this repeatedly uh, dealing with different aspects of all that that we've talked about, is that a lot of the tripwires we make theologically, philosophically, or just in our life is we want to be absolutely sure of certain aspects uh, and we don't like sitting um, in, uh, you know, the, the difficulty of, of, of the cloudy situation. But we've, we're told repeatedly, right, we see now in a mirror darkly and things like this. And I would say everything from bad pop theology to bad academic theology usually stems from people wanting absolute answers uh, in a mode uh, that it's not available. And I'm the last person to, I, I hope, anybody who knows me realizes I'm not saying there's no such thing as objective truth or things like this. Like, you can talk to Bud. I used to be known as the guy who made people uh, cry in Protestant seminary before we converted. <laughs> so that, that's that's not the point I'm making here. The point is, is there, there's an objective truth about the lack of a certainty we have in a lot of our lives. And peace that we all keep talking about, right, having inner peace, is not about being certain, and so now I don't have to worry. Peace is coming to the reality of that uncertainty and learning to live in it. And I think, I mean, even beyond suicide and and, and living, you know, after, uh, you know, suicide with, uh, in your family or in your community, that's just something that we all lack is the ability to rest in uncertainty but still have hope. And I don't know, is that something that you've, you've started to see um, on this side of the tragedy in, in a lot of people's lives? Absolutely, and that's where all of the platitudes come from, and that's where all the, I have to fix this, or I can't be in this space with this grieving person, or I can't stand in this person's suffering, comes from. It's because we have the inability as a society to ha- be uncertain we, we don't know how to say, I don't know anymore. We have to know. And if you don't, you have to Google it super fast and then have an opinion. And it's, and it's taking away, I think to me it's taking away the, it takes away hope because you can only have hope if you have uncertainty. You can't have hope if you know everything and everything's absolute. Uh, you can only have hope if you don't know and you hope in something. You know, you can only have faith if you don't know. You can only you can only have compassion with people if you're not trying to fix it because compassion means standing in the suffering with them. So, so that's where we're lacking a lot of those things because we want absolute 
certainty that nothing bad is going to happen to us. And a lot of times we put that on, I'm Catholic, I go to Mass on Sundays, I say my daily rosary, I, you know, checking off this box of, we have our own prosperity gospel as Catholics. We just don't think it's mansions. We think it's nothing bad will happen to us if I say my daily rosary and go to daily Mass and, right, exactly. you know, confession. Yeah, so to me, that that lack of hope comes from the absolute obsession with needing to know everything and be absolutely sure about everything. Yeah, no, we... Uh, um when you're when you get to be known as a know-it-all because you're an argumentative philosophy <laughs> guy, uh, so I'm raising my hand here. You start to realize you get a weird experience that not everybody gets to do, and it's when they're surprised when you admit that there's like stuff that we will never know, and you just have to be okay with. Yeah. So my kids are like this: is you know, obviously, dad is on the radio. Dad teaches people, yeah. and so when he's when they're throwing out stuff, and I'm like, I have no clue, but that will be like. Um, you can tell that it's like a revelation for them. Like, just to show you how a weird insight into the Bonner family. Yesterday, we were talking about all the cosmological disasters that can happen astronomically that would destroy Earth. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, like, Antonia yeah. is like, well, what about asteroids? Like, how big does the asteroid have to be to destroy Earth? And I'm like, uh, I think bigger than Texas, right? That's the Yucatan one. And then the, 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 the sun becoming a red dwarf. I mean, like, we're, we're a very dorky family. Um, but yeah. the point is... We, we do zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but but the point starts to be like uh, you know they're they're throwing out this idea and they're like so what will happen, Dad? Do you know these are certain? I'm like, well, look, guys, what I'm saying is, should you worry every day of your life about incoming asteroids? No. Can I tell you that we won't get totally blanked off the face of the Earth by an asteroid? Also, no. But you see, guys, right. you, that's misusing knowledge. Knowledge is not about. It's not a shield. It's actually it's not a safety net. Um, knowledge is mostly about like wonder and awe, and the very word yeah. awe is can be translated as terror. Um, but but we yeah. believe that we have a God that uh, encompasses more than just the need of knowledge as a safety net, and that's what I keep hearing from you. That it's actually the the sort of most brutal pinpoint intensive sufferings like suffering through a child committing suicide that, that you have to come to these rev- the realization about that or your your yearning for certainty is what's going to unravel your very existence and i think we see it all the time i mean these kids are i mean just the other day it was 9-11 so the children who were born on 9-11 or after are now 18 and they've lived their entire lives with these this fear, living in this dome of fear, right, where they have to worry about everything and worry about terrorist attacks and worry about this. And I, I saw a little kid drive, um, riding his bike to school the other day, and this kid was basically bubble wrapped, you know, like right. he had elbow pads and knee pads. And I'm not saying safety is a bad thing, but I'm just thinking about this kid, like never learning to fall off his bike and get back on it because mm. it's not ever going to hurt. And pain is a catalyst into teaching you something, teaching you what not to do, teaching you consequences of actions, teaching you a bunch of stuff. And the kids are constantly, this young generation is constantly hearing that the earth is going to end soon because climate change and, and terrorists are out to get us. And if you fall off your bike and scrape your knee, it's going to be awful. And you can't go on the monkey bars and break an arm because your parents don't have health insurance. I mean, it's like this constant gloom and doom and no hope yeah. and, no, and, and no answers either. So you're giving them a bunch of 
information, but no answers, no guidance in understanding how to discern anything, and no hope. So, yeah, they're depressed and and anxious all the time, you know? Yeah, no, I, when, when people, not to like go off on too much tangent and shit, but when people talk about climate change and they're like, in the future, it's going to be like 110 in the summer and it will be negative five in the winter. And I'm always like, this sounds like Northern Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So like, you guys are just going to have to live what we, anyway, I'm kidding. But, but <laughs> the point being is, um, that starts to be the mystery, I think, of your life as you're pointing it out is because of how you grew up in the, in, in the certain circumstances that are in many ways random about the random circumstances of your life that you face trauma and there's an uh, early on and it's and then, of course, like now with like, Anthony and everything and there's one way to look at it and go like, oh my gosh, I'm unlucky. The world has like set yeah. against me. Um, what am I going to do? But then you've come through this to say, well, no, actually, I was able to have the type of trauma that once I had insight or help or, or teaching was able to realize that I'm now stronger because of all that. And now there's all these other people who haven't had the same, like anywhere near the same trauma. Yeah. And they're set up uh, to really be broken by the first real trauma that they ever face. Absolutely. I was just talking to my therapist about this the other day. Because I was like, I read people's stories all the time, and they have, like, one thing that happened to them that was my one in a million things. Like, I had a miscarriage. I was married to a drug addict who hit me. I was sexually abused as a child. I mean, I could go on and on. But, and and like you said, I could, I could sit around and say my life is completely unfair in comparison to everyone else's. But honestly, if I didn't have that, I never would have been in the kind of pain that led me to my parish and led me to my RCIA program that led me to the priest and my support system that got me through Anthony's suicide. I never would have survived Anthony's suicide ever in a million years if I hadn't had the kind of resilience that I had and hadn't had the kind of faith foundation that I had. Even when I was yelling at God and, you know, cursing the sky, Job style, I still had a foundation of knowing who God is that held me together. Well, Letitia, we're, 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 we're out of time. This clearly is something that um, we could talk about 42 and, uh, more minutes or an hour, but the lucky thing for everyone in Des Moines is... That's going to happen, and it's going to happen next week, live. You're going to be here in Des Moines, uh, September 24th, uh, 6.30, um, Mercy College of Health Sciences in the Sullivan Center. Uh, So September 24th, September 24th, September 24th, the Faith and Healing Speaker Series. And uh, who you just listened to, Letitia Adams, she is going to be the speaker. We are so excited and honored to have you coming into town, and we can't wait to let Des Moines um, hear more of your insights into all of this. So, Letitia, thank you for coming on the show, and we're going to see you soon. Yay, thanks for having me, and I can't wait. All right, well, God bless, and like I said, everybody, uh, she'll be back next week live in Des Moines, and we'll talk to her then. This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our cities, in our state, the nation, the entire world, the entire galaxy, all the asteroids included. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back next week. But if folks want to be a part of what we do prayer-wise on Iowa Catholic Radio, what are some of the things that they can participate in on air? Uh, if you're finding a little, uh, needing a little boost in your prayer life, uh, one great way to do this is just schedule time to pray with us on air. 
Uh, we pray the rosary daily at 5.30 in the morning, 9.30 in the morning, and then later at night at 9.30. Um, we also schedule the Angelus daily for 6 a.m. And then if you are out and about in the Diocese of Des Moines, there's plenty you can do. Like I said, today, 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 Wednesday, uh, the 5th Annual Men's Stag out at the Light, uh, sponsored by Light Edge Solutions, uh, this Wednesday night, September 18th, out at the County Barn in DeSoto from uh, 5 to 9. The thing really gets started around 6, so if you get off work at 5, no problems. You're not missing anything. Enjoy fellowship and a steak dinner provided by the Waukee High V. Learn more about tables and registration at iowacatholicradio.com. The Iowa Catholic Women's Conference, The Soul of the Matter, with uh, Father Wade Menaz, uh, Sonia Corbett, and Suzanne Tassone. It's Saturday, November 2nd, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. at St. Francis of Assisi. Mass begins at 8, and the conference follows. Lunch provided, iowacatholicradio.com for more details. And then finally, the big one, Ut Fidem and Iowa Catholic Radio present Extraordinary News with Father John Ricardo and the premiere of The Veil Removed, Saturday, December 7th, 7 p.m. at the Iowa Events Center Grand Ballroom. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Um, folks, we covet your prayers. If you uh, have in mind donations, uh, it, we're a ministry that stays on air because of the kindness of your donations. Please uh, consider doing so at www.iowacatholicradio.com slash donations. Uh, Bud, thank you for a wonderful show, and I just want to say you're welcome that now you get to watch former Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph as your starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're welcome. Yeah, pretty soon the Steelers' offense is just going to be ex-Okie State players. Yeah, you're right, and you are lucky to have that happen, my friend. God bless everyone. We'll be back next Wednesday. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.